Good morning, church. It is good to be here again today with you all. I always look forward to, to worshiping with you and spending time with you, and I'm very excited to talk about being the church today. And I want to kind of start with a um, National Geographic moment, if you will. Um, I want you to think about a buffalo herd. And uh, I love buffalo. I'm from out west. I was born and raised in Denver, and so buffalo are significant in my upbringing. Um, they're big creatures. They're, they're, they're overwhelming creatures. They're a herd creature. They like to be together in a herd. That's how they protect each other. And I want you to think about a herd um, in the best sense of the word. You know, like those... Um, videos that we get on, on Facebook where all of the mama elephants come together to lift the baby elephant out of the river because it can't get out on its own and they all work together to save the weak. I want us to think about that end of the herd because we also know, know that herd mentality does what? Kind of culls off the weakest and says, okay, they'll be the prey and we'll run on our own. So herd mentality isn't always great. But I want you to just think about how in herds, they have to learn how to get along. They have to learn how to work together. The only way that they're a good herd is if they're moving in the same direction. Also, they're a force to be reckoned with. They're trying to reestablish buffaloes out in, um, in the West, especially in Alberta, and they've only had minimal success because they haven't had enough buffalo to actually create a herd. Actually, part of the reason that some of our prairie lands are at risk is because you need a whole herd of buffaloes to be a part of the ecosystem to make sure that, that the grasses grow again, that they're trampled properly in order for the seeds to go down. It's a, it's a whole big thing. So herds can be a good thing. Herds also teach us how to follow a leader. Usually there's some head elephant. I don't know how they choose them. But there's somebody in some elephant or some buffalo that kind of knows the direction, knows the way to go. Probably one of the more mature ones of the herd. And so herds teach following. They, there's leadership involved in herds. We're talking about bee the church, and you've seen that little buzzing bee. And we heard this morning in our devotions about how important it is to be the church. Because the church doesn't just stay here like a colony of bees. It goes out and it, it blesses the world. No bees, no honey. We know that, right? Big deal, this whole colony collapse right now. But bees are amazing. They, they, they are so well integrated. They, fall, they take care of the queen. They know how to work together. We can learn a lot by looking at herds or looking at, at groups of animals because God set them up to work together. That's part of their created being, if you will. Now, what, one of the biggest lies that I think is out in culture right now that a lot of us glom onto pretty quickly is, I, I don't need to be a part of a church. Why should I belong to a church? Maybe you've run into someone who says, I, I, I'm a Christ follower. I believe in Jesus. I, I, I want to follow his way, but I have no room to be involved in a church. I won't make you raise your hand, but I know I've run into those people often. And what's funny is I like to tell them right away, well, whether or not you acknowledge it, you are a part of the church. When you say yes to Jesus, we are all baptized in the same spirit. We all are part of this group called his church, his community of believers. 
So whether we acknowledge it or not, we are part of the church. Well, then people push back and say, okay, that's not what I meant. Of course, you know, I'm part of his body, I'm part of his church. I just don't really want to engage with y'all. Ah, that's a different thing all entirely, isn't it? And usually, who is it that says, I am, I am over church? It's usually it's people who have been hurt by the church, who haven't found their place to belong, who sometimes find um, more hopelessness in church than hope, who weren't encouraged in their calling and equipping and were often kind of pushed to the side. Mostly people who don't want to be part of the church are people who've been hurt by it. And then there's a few of us out there that are just kind of these strong individuals. I'll do it myself. And for some reason, being a part of the church just slows them down. Church never moves fast enough for these folks. But here's the thing. Whether we're kind of an anti-herd mentality or we're walking with a limp, we are still part of the church. And the church, God's gift to us, is each other. I want you to do something for me. Well, I don't usually do this because I lose control. But I want you to look around right now. Look at the people around you. Look at the people behind you. You are God's gift to each other. You were placed here to support and encourage each other. And I want to think about the video that we saw and look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 to help us understand what it means that we are a gift to each other. So I'm looking at 1 Thessalonians. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in uh, Thessalonica. And I'm in chapter 5, in case some of you are are looking on your your phones. Okay. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. This is a verse I want you to think about. Therefore, Encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 
Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. This is God's word. Now, I, I find it interesting that I think the last two or three times that I've preached here, I've said the same thing. The early church thought Jesus would come back very quickly. They did not think it was going to take that long. I mean, they had been with Jesus for three years. They had seen him die and be risen from the dead. And then he was around for 40 days, so it's even shorter. So, in, you know, in human terms, and I'm not a math person, you would think Jesus wouldn't take that long to come back. I am pretty sure everybody was like, this is not going to take as long as it's been taking. And here we are 2,000 years later. We cannot underestimate how discombobulating that was for them. How challenging it was to live into the promises, not only because Jesus hasn't come back as soon as they anticipated, but slowly they're becoming under more and more persecution. The Jews are rejecting them more and more. The early church were Jewish Christians who met in synagogues, and after a while the Jews were like, no, you are not one of us. You need to go worship elsewhere. And all of a sudden, all sorts of persecution and people not understanding. Who are these people that, that, that eat the body and blood of the one that they follow? Like, people didn't understand them. There was a lot of stress in being a Christian in the early church. And I'd, I'd say many of us here would say there's stress in being a Christian today. We hear stories from all over the world of Christians being persecuted I think that when Paul is writing this to the church in Thessalonica, he is trying to remind us that the journey is going to be a long one. We know what the ending looks like, but we do not know the day and time of when the ending will happen, when Jesus will come again. We know the end of the story, but we're still living in that in-between times, and it is not easy. And so in these words, as he encourages the church to be awake, to be sober, to be ready, but also to be an encouragement and to build each other up, he's reminding us that there are times when we need each other. This is not a solo journey. This is not about being set off all by ourselves, each of one of us, to come out as the the one who survives. This is not survival of the fittest. This is the church coming together to build each other up and to be about the mission of Christ in growing the church as we walk together. We are given to each other as people of God, as people of the way, to be a gift to each other, to support each other when the journey gets difficult to build each other up when we know that we are those wounded people who fail again and again. We are to be Christ's church. 
Now, if you remember that video, which I thought was just awesome, and, and, and reminding us of what the Acts Church looked like, what did they do when they got together? They got together to go over Jesus' teaching. Why? Because when, when we don't go through the, the whole book of the Bible, we get confused. We start filling in the blanks with the things that we would like to believe, not what God has said. They got together for fellowship, it says, regularly, daily. Why? To get to know each other so that they could build good, honest, trust relationships with each other when somebody would have to step in and admonish each other. You know, if somebody comes up to me and doesn't know me and says, you know, Leslie, you really need to get your act together, how how much am I going to listen to them? Not at all. But when one of you church comes and says, you know what, I'm noticing some discrepancies. I'm noticing that what you say is not always what comes out in your actions. I'm going to pay attention. Why? Because I trust you. Because we've spent time together. Because I know at the bottom you love me. At the core of what we're doing is to build each other up so that we can shine like stars to the world around us. So that when people see us, they say, oh, there's something about those Christ followers. So they got together, they broke the bread together, they had commune with each other to remind themselves that they were being fed spiritually. They got together to worship, to live life deeply together so that there was no one in their midst that did not feel like they belonged, body and soul, in life and in death, to their Lord and Savior. And they practiced that with each other. You know, one of the great things about church is that it was the first fruit, the first fruit of the Holy Spirit. Sure, there were all sorts of miracles going on during that time, but you know what was the most attractive? Were these people who came from all different lifestyles, who were different races, who spoke different languages, and they lived together in peace. That, for a lot of people, is a miracle, if you think about it. And that was one of the first attractive ways that the church began to grow through the power of the Holy Spirit. People saw that these were people who who followed Christ and were in the process of becoming more and more like him, and they encouraged each other in it. They held each other accountable in it. And so I want to think today about what it means to be this gathered church and what it is that we do together. And I think what it is that we do together at the very core is that we learn what it means to be like Jesus and we practice it on each other. This is a safe place to learn and to grow deeper and to practice on each other. So what are we learning? Well, the first thing is we're learning about forgiveness. The world does not preach the kind of forgiveness that Jesus gives us. The world is either, ah, forget about it, and we hang on till later when we really need to pull out what bothered me about what you said or did to me. It's not the kind of forgiveness we learn about here. And we practice it on each other. I can remember when my girls were little, already at like two and three years old, and, you know, one would take a a toy and whack their sister with it. And I see you all, all smiling, but it happens even with girls. And I would have to say, Allie, you need to say I'm sorry. And she'd go, sorry. That's the world's way, sorry. Say, what are you sorry for? I am sorry that I took my Barbie and I poked you in the eye with it. But here's the thing, it's not complete forgiveness yet, just because she said sorry. What does Anna have to do? 
I forgive you for taking your Barbie and poking me in the eye with it. And then they have to have a kiss of peace. They had to hug each other. They had to hug it out. Why? Because so often the world tells us that just going, oh, sorry, we're so blasé. That's not what we practice here. We learn about a forgiveness that happened on the cross that was sacrificial, that brings around um, reconciliation, that helps us to walk together again and still call each other brother and sister. I think part of that practice is also practicing what peace really is. Jesus tells, me, tells us, we're gonna, I'm going to bring you peace unlike any peace that the world can give. And that peace is that shalom, the Bible says, where we're in right relationship, where we're walking in step with God and each other. We practice this here. We practice this here because we all understand that word and we're all learning what it means to be in step with each other. I think one of the things we learn and practice here in the body together is how to follow The world is made up, at least in North America, of tons of individualists who want to do what they want to do when they want to do it. And we live counterculturally here. We learn how to follow. We learn how to listen to this person up here, and we we learn how to trust that she's bringing God's word. This is an act of trust. This is an act of trust that, that you're going to trust that I spent time in the word, that I'm listening to the Spirit, And I have to trust that you're actually listening and that you're not just glazed over. We learn how to do that in community. I can certainly go and stand in front of my mirror and I know I will pay attention to me, but I need you. This is a group activity. This is something that we grow in as a body, listening to the Spirit. And what's been very interesting to me over the last couple of weekends is how many emails you guys have been sending me about what's been happening in this relationship. And I appreciate that. Because it means that we're in this together. That you're listening with your heart, not just, you know, looking at what outfit I wore, or why did she wear tennis shoes today, or whatever, right? Believe me, we can get, the world is that superficial. That is not who we are. We practice leading and following. And so in Thessalonians, we're told to revere our leaders. We're told to say, we're going to trust that Aaron's going to help put together a worship service that will bless us all, and we will follow her. We could just as well come in and turn our chairs around and say, we're not going to watch because we don't like what Aaron's been feeding us lately, right? We have to learn to follow, and that's countercultural. We also practice what it means to live into our calling in this place. The world may give us many lies about who we are, but here we tell the truth. And we say to each other, we cannot be idle. We are Christ followers, and we're going to hold each other accountable to it. Are you growing in Christ? Are you leaning into your calling? Are you being a good listener? How can we equip you and stretch you in that calling? That's what we do as a group. And if we're all honest and we go through these different times, one of the things we learn and we practice is patience with each other. We all have rough edges. I am reminded that I have a big personality, and sometimes I blow people out of the water, and I have to be aware of that more. It is not always a blessing to have me in the room. You laugh, but I have to be aware of that. If you're an introvert, you're like, oh, make her go. I have to be aware 
that people are being patient with me and I have to be patient with them if they're not as quick as I am or if they're not moving in the direction that I want to go. We practice patience with each other. Why? Because the world does not know patience. The world is honking their horns and (laughs) running around each other because I got things to do. But here, we learn and we practice patience. We help the weak. We protect the weak. We encourage the disheartened. We allow people to be real when the when it is hard to walk the life of faith. We practice love and patience with each other. And we do that by practicing what it means to share, to live life together. The Holy Spirit gives each one of us gifts, and they're not ours to contain and hold on to and decide when we want to use them. It's up to the Holy Spirit. And those gifts are meant to build up this body. They're meant to protect this body to encourage this body, to get this body to do what it needs to do, not for our sakes, but for the sakes of the kingdom. Here we gather to learn about prayer and to practice it with each other. I will tell you the truth, and I'm sure some of you will will resonate with this, but I am less likely to have a grocery list of prayer for God when I am praying with you all and among you than when I'm by myself. When I'm by myself, I am pretty self-absorbed So it is a good practice for me to be with the body because it opens my eyes to things that are much bigger than just me, me, me. That is why we get together and we learn how to pray with each other and for each other. And we learn how to listen when we're together. When we're praying as a group, my eyes are open to other needs, to other desires, to where God is working in the kingdom beyond my knowledge. We get together to worship. This is not church. This is kind of our uh, ignition time. This is our time when we gather together to refuel to be about God's business. And we do it because we focus on God. I think that we worship and we open the word to reorient and remind ourselves who we're following whose name we bear, and what our marching orders are. So when I say, oh, i got to head to church, I am church. I'm heading to a place where I learn more what it means to be church with the body, with each of you. We practice and worship to inform our life 24-7 because we all know that everything we do should be worship, should be oriented to God. And so we kind of get re reorganized here. We kind of get re-energized so that we can go and be about God's business in the world. We practice and we learn about living thankfully here. I am encouraged when I hear thankfulness. I am encouraged when I hear stories of God's work in each of your lives. That reminds me that I can live thankfully and that God is working in my life as well. And finally, and I think this is probably... One of the things we forget, but it's so important. We learn about what it means to serve when we're together. We learn about that we are here to not just kind of push people or to to give the mission statement, say, okay, everybody go. We're here to serve each other, to support each other. And we practice this in community with each other. 
I would say that many, if not most of these things, we cannot do alone. I cannot serve myself and learn about serving. That's just navel-gazing and making sure I get what I want. I cannot learn what it means to be part of a body that has marching orders if I'm all by myself. I get very selfish when I'm all by myself, but when I'm with you, I learn what it means to be a brother and a sister, one who uh, mirrors Christ's image in the world. I need you. I hope you need me. I hope we need each other, and I hope that we take seriously that we are God's gift to each other when we allow the Spirit to work through us as individuals and us as a group. We need relationships in order to practice many of these things. We need mature Christians to model this for us. We need young Christians to model enthusiasm when we've been on the road for a long time. Many times when I'm by myself, that's when the deceiver gets me. Oh, it's not important. You don't need to think about anyone else. You're the most important thing. I need you to help push back the lies that the deceiver tells. I'd like to encourage us as a body to develop a healthy herd mentality, one that protects the weak, that lifts up those who are are downtrodden, I'd like you to sometimes think that we are the army of God pushing back against evil, that we are peacekeepers and peacemakers, and that together the church can and is a force to be reckoned with. And we don't do that just so that we become this fortress. This isn't about becoming the the nice, tight group of villagers that just love each other. No. We practice all of these things, peace, Patience, love, service. We do that so that we can receive new believers well, so that we're ready for the next ones that come in our door. And we do this so that we are prepared when we get scattered to go out into the world, that we come out with a strong foundation. We know we're loved, we know we're not alone, and we're ready for whatever God has for us as we invite new people into the mission. I was thinking today that, you know, we don't really think much as a body about, oh, I wonder if if Jesus is coming soon. Maybe you do. I I have to be honest. I kind of like my life. (laughs) It's a beautiful world we live in most of the time. If I don't read the newspaper, I'm not so overwhelmed by life. I kind of think that we might need to go back to that urgency that the early church had that sense that Jesus is coming any time, and that that propels us to be about his business. That we don't sit idle and say, oh, I'll engage with my neighbors next week. I have too much on my plate today. I wonder if we need more of that urgency. Because that urgency also pushes us towards solidarity, where there are people around the world who love Jesus and are under attack. We need to be able to stand with them and say the same thing that they are saying because they're under attack. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. Come quickly, Lord. I want to challenge you to think that today and throughout the week. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. 
ignite the energy that that church had in me so that I can be the church to each other and to the world around us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for church, for being gathered in your body, in your name, in your spirit. May we not take that for granted. God, help us to grow as your church in this particular place. May people see us the way that we, we learn together and practice patience and peace and reconciliation. And may they be so excited by that that they want to know how they can have it too. And maybe be ready with the story of your goodness and grace. May the gospel be there, ready to be told at any moment. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.